Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. Today our scripture comes from 1 John chapter 3 verses 4 through 10 and then we're going to skip ahead to verses 18 through 24. We do invite those who are able to rise in body and or spirit as we give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sin and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. And moving ahead to verse 18. Dear dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do things that please him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. So, Lord, we pray for your truth, uh, your clarity. Um, Lord, that, that your, your spirit would live in us and would speak clearly to us this day, wherever we are, whatever we came with in our hearts, God. Would you just reveal your goodness and mercy and love and truth? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I understand that last week, Levi said that I'm getting the easy chapter here with 1 John chapter 3, but I have a hard time believing that because 1 John 3, 6, I don't know if you were paying attention, but these words were said, anyone who continues to live in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. And I don't know about you, but as I read that verse, I I sort of just take a step back because I don't know about you, but but like sinning, I, I, I hope I do, I believe I do it less, but I still do it. And as you're reading this, it seems to be drawing this hard line that if you do what is righteous, you're part of God's family. But if you do not do, if you keep on sinning, then you are children of the devil. Those are John's words, not mine. All right, you can blame him for that. 
And it seems like that there is this grand contrast. That it's either all the way here, all things are good, or all the way here, all things are bad. And, and that doesn't always sit well with us because you have maybe have said, and I've said, and I've certainly heard many people say that, well, I just sin every day. I know that I do. I wouldn't be anything but for the grace and the mercy of God as we just sang. And so what is the mercy of God as we are sinful people have to do with somebody who says anyone who does who continues to live in him will not sin it's as if there is one thing or the other and so it kind of made me wonder what does this mean about like future does this mean i'm do does this mean i have to be perfect in order to to get to heaven is it is only some people good enough am, am i just pretending in my faith Do I not really have faith because I continue to sin? And then I come across these words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 as part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says words, and most of the time when Jesus speaks, I like it. But every once in a while, Jesus says stuff, and I'm like, whew, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? This is what he says, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. So even if I cry out to God and I don't do his will, how much of his will do I have to do? These are questions in my head, right? And then he goes on to say, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. And that, that's like, this is hard because this is where a lot of us, I would imagine, you know, like if you cast out a demon, you kind of feel like, okay, like I'm in good, right? If you do miracles, like, hey, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, right? I couldn't do it without the goodness and the mercy and the love of God in me. But here Jesus says, not everybody who cries out, not everybody who does these things in my name will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so it seems like, on one hand, there is this extremely high bar that Jesus is drawing here. And that we also find in 1 John that we cannot keep on sinning and live with him. But sometimes we, we hear very different things, right? And we, and we have a very different understanding of, of faith. Um, that, that we want it to be simpler and we've been taught it's, it can't be this hard, right? Can it be so simple, right? Maybe some of you learned the ABCs of of salvation, right? That you admit that you're a sinner, that you believe Jesus died for you, and you confess Jesus as your Savior, and you do that, and, and, and then everything is good. Is it that simple, or is it more complex? It, it, do I need to pray the right words? Do I need to do everything right? I mean, we look at the Pharisees in the New Testament, these people who, these religious leaders who were with Jesus, and they tried to do all the right things, but yet Jesus was said, they're so far removed from my kingdom. And I don't know about you, but it's just hard. And, and, and I do this for a living, and yet I'm still trying to wrap my mind around what must I do to inherit eternal life? Is it what I do? Is it what I believe? How much belief do I have to have? If I cry on, Lord, Lord, is it enough? And there's more questions than I have answers for. But before I try to answer that question and resolve a little bit of this tension that I'm feeling, I think there's something we need to acknowledge 
Um, and it goes along with our text as well, because our text says that um, don't merely, let's not merely say that we love one another, let us show the truth by our actions. But sometimes, especially as we look at the history of the world, the actions of Christians has not been stellar. That's probably a nice way to say that. We look at Christians, and in the name of Christ, millions and millions of people were killed in the Crusades. In the name of Christ, people in Germany supported Hitler and the atrocities of the Holocaust. In the name of Christ, slave owners weaponized the Bible in order to justify their horrendous treatment of slaves. In the name of Christ, pastors have solicited donations from their flock, many of whom are in poverty, to fund their private planes and their perfect mansions. I don't have a private plane yet, and I'm pretty confident yet will never arrive, right? In the name of Christ, Methodist pastors and others have joined the KKK and set fire to a cross as a weird symbol of their faith in Jesus. In the name of Christ, Tulsans gathered at churches and proceeded to have one of the worst race massacres in our history. In the name of Christ, women who are who are subject to constant abuse from their husband have been told they must stay together for the sake of the marriage. In the name of Christ, family members have been rejected. In the name of Christ, we have separated people into us and to them, and we are certainly better than they are. In the name of Christ, we have protected our way of doing church for the sake of the mission of the church. And as I think about this, I do think that if we're going to be Christians, then we better be serious about it. Because there's been horrendous things that have been done in the name of Christ, and the witness to the world is simply appalling at times. It reminds me of a Brennan Manning quote um, that some of you will recognize from your DC Talk CD from back in the day. But this is what it says. The single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then go out and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And we know that to be true, that the perception of Christians in our world today is not what I would like it to be. And there are times where I think, you know, they just need to get their act together. You know, those other Christians out there need to get their act together. And what we see is that when, when Christians seek power, when Christians seek to, to have the power and all the responsibilities and the leaders that oftentimes we get twisted and mixed up in things we don't want to. And we find ourselves conforming to a world that we think we are not conforming to. And we are causing people to say, I, if that's what a Christian is, I want nothing to do with it. If, if, if the Christians are for the violence, I want nothing to do with Christians. If Christians are, if I know more about what Christians are against than what they are for, I want nothing to do with those people of faith. And that's part of the challenge we have in our world today, is that when people think of Christians, they are more likely to think hypocritical, judgmental, and a host of other negative things before they think about what we're for. And so it's easy for me to pick on us and them. It's easy for me to think about all these other things, but when I think about the worldwide movement of faith, it's extraordinary what Christians have done. Not in the negative, but in the positive. In the name of Christ, much of our healthcare system and hospitals have come because Christians have said, we need to be part of the healing of people and people need a hospital 
that they can go to. In the name of Christ, forgiveness has become something that is both extraordinary but yet also somewhat expected. I think of somebody like Nelson Mandela and what the forgiveness effort he led in South Africa, which is so extraordinary. And, and I remember some other times where the extraordinariness of forgiveness has hit me. I think of uh, when there was an Amish shooting, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago, and the, um, the people of the Amish faith, their instant response was forgiveness. I think about what happened in Charleston at the racially motivated killing at a black church. And just a few days after that killing, I remember somebody, um, I remember a video of one of the ladies who lost a loved one and said, every bone in my body hurts, but yet I forgive you. What a witness and a testimony of love and grace that overcomes fear. In the name of Christ, those in poverty have been loved by people like Mother Teresa, but also just regular people that we never see or we never hear about, but they take the time to be with other people. In the name of Christ, the blind can see, the addict can experience recovery, and those in despair have hope that lasts eternally. In the name of Christ, we know about marriages who have been healed. In the name of Christ, churches like ours all throughout this country and this world have food pantries to help those who are in need of food. In the name of Christ, billions and billions are given annually because of the generosity of God's people. In the name of Christ, we have sat with people who are grieving. And I would imagine that for each of us out here, there are some times in which we have seen Christians who have done extraordinary things. In fact, that's probably one of the reasons why we're in this room. It's because there was somebody who, who did not merely say, let us say that we love each other, but they showed you the truth in their actions. They walked with you down a stormy path and you are so grateful for them. They, they, they challenged you in their faith and they helped you to see the world from a different perspective. They gave you a hug when that hug meant more than any words. And in some ways you have felt the extraordinariness of when the church and the Christians get it right. But then there are times too, and my guess is, the problem, there are many of us in this room who've, who've experienced it when the church and when Christian leaders and even pastors have gotten it wrong. And we have pain in our heart because the pastor didn't do what he, was, he or she was supposed to do. We have pain in our heart because the church that was supposed to embrace us instead rejected us. We have, we have pain in our heart because somebody said or did something and it still resonates with us. And so there is part of me that while I am uncomfortable with the text that says, if you're going to be a Christian, you really should, it should be here. I really do want a world in which Christians live up into our high call to action. As it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. We want to have Christians have a positive reputation. We want our church to be known as good in the community and among our neighbors. We want that. But yet on my level, I struggle with how good am I supposed to be? How good is enough? Now, one of the things that we often do as people is, is we know we're not supposed to judge, all right? But we find ourselves every once in a while a little judgy, right? And one of the things that happens is, is, I don't remember who said it, but somebody said it, we judge others by their actions, we judge ourselves by our intentions, right? Um, and, and so that we begin to say, well, I know I didn't do the right thing, I know I didn't say the right thing, but I have a reason for that, right? And, and, and we know that our intentions are good, right? 
How many of you have set your alarm so that you will get up a little bit early and read the Bible? And your intentions were good on the evening, but then you hit snooze, right? Right? And you're like, it's okay, I'm tired. God would rather me get sleep. He loves me after all, right? Uh, and we understand, well, I would have handled this better, but X, Y, Z, right? And, and so we, we want there to be mercy for ourselves. We want to be able to experience the mercy that we just sang about. We want to have that experience for ourselves. We want other people to do the things and to represent Christ well. But we know our story is different, right? And instead of resonating with these words that we hear in 1 John, and John is really kind of confusing. He sort of like says the same thing differently and then he says it again the same, and then he says something different, and it's very confusing. I like the way that Paul says it in Romans, because this is pretty simple. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And there are probably all of us in this room who's like, golly, I knew better. I didn't want to do that, but all of a sudden I found myself doing that. And when I do that, if Paul, who wrote the New Testament, says that, does that mean I can say that too? Does that mean I don't have to be perfect? Or is what it says in 1 John 3.10 true? So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. So what is it? Is it righteousness? Is it doing the right things? Or is it grace? Is it receiving forgiveness and mercy and love? Is it our witness to the world or is it what God does in our heart? What does it mean? And, and, and I'm tempted here to give you an answer of this or this, of that, but that's not often the way it works. Andy Stanley, who's a pastor down in Georgia, he says that there are some things that are not problems to be solved, but tensions to be managed. And we want there to be a, a, an easy solution. If I do X, Y, Z, everything is good. But really, but this tension between righteousness and grace is that it is a tension that I think both of these things are true that we are called to a high standard of living and this is what John talks about here and the consequences of of what happens if we don't but we are also people who are recipients of God's mercy and grace and his love and this is a tension that we're leaning into and so here's what I want you to know is there is mercy and grace there's forgiveness all this stuff is very very true but that's not what we're going to talk about today because today we're going to let the text lead us and we're going to lead into this idea and this high calling of what God has for us. And I'm going to use a phrase that's important to me and kind of weird to you. And the phrase is this, Christian perfection. All right? Now, I'm excited about this. And you all are probably like, nope, I don't know. I'm uh, Christian perfection. That sounds weird to me. Now, actually... Um, so the, we are in a United Methodist Church. The United Methodist Church is part of the Methodist movement, which is a worldwide movement that's been going on since the 1700s. John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism, and the Methodist movement is not just Methodist churches, but um, it has a variety of influence. The Church of the Nazarene is what we would call a Wesleyan church. We have the same theology, by and large, that they do. The Pentecostal movement um, is actually a byproduct of the Wesleyan movement, this movement that has affected a great deal of Christianity across the world, um, when they asked John Wesley towards the end of his life, why was this 
movement started? What was the purpose of this in the grand scheme of things? What was the most important thing that he said? And he said the primary reason that the movement started is for the doctrine of entire sanctification or Christian perfection. So this is very exciting to me because it's what's most important. How many of you have ever heard about Christian perfection? That's what I thought, all right? And you, that's because you were here in the early service. Uh, a couple of people were like, yeah, I was there. Yeah, I know, I know. I heard it this morning. So this is crazy to me, y'all, because, all right, like the person who's the founder of the whole movement says this is most important. And between like the two services, like a dozen of us raised our hand. So how is it that we have gotten so far from what the person who founded the whole movement said, this is what it's about, and now we get there where people who are in Methodist churches year after year after year after year, all right, some of you grew up in and you never heard about it. How do we, what happened? Well, I think we're terrified of the words Christian perfection because we don't believe we can be perfect. Now, I'm going to tell you what this means in just a second, but let me step back, all right, because we need to talk about grace. Now, there are, are in, in our understanding, in, in Wesleyan understanding of grace, we really have three kinds of grace, all right? I know this is like, I'm just like, first John's so confusing. Now, Aaron, make it even more confusing. Got it. All right, so here we go. Three kinds of grace. The first kinds of grace is what we call prevenient grace. It's the grace that goes before. So before you and I ever said, hey, God, you're awesome, God has shown his love for us. He has, he has, he has, he has given us opportunities to know that he is here and that he is for us and he's not against us. Now, one of the ways I like to think about it is hindsight grace. That when we look back at our life, particularly our life before we said yes to Jesus, that's part two, before we said yes to Jesus, we can see where God was at work. He gave us a grandma who, who sat with us and who loved us dearly. He, he gave us these gifts of love. He, he sent somebody into our life to speak truth at just the right moment. There was that right youth leader who met us or that vacation Bible school where we said yes to God. Those are gifts of God. That's prevenient grace, the grace that goes before. Now, the next stage of grace in our understanding is, thing, is what we would call justifying grace, justification. Right? This is what often you and I would talk about being saved. What does it mean to be saved? It's to be justified, to be made right with God. And so oftentimes we think about it um, in our own culture is, is, is praying that prayer where we give our heart to Jesus, where we give our life to Jesus. This is incredibly important, you all. This matters. We need to be people who said, I've decided to follow Jesus and we can receive the grace and the love and that we can know that we are saved, that we don't have to live constantly questioning whether or not we're good enough um, because we've made a true and genuine confession of faith and we've lived that out. Now, um, but what Wesley said was that Methodists were made for this next part, which is the doctrine of sanctification. Sanctification is being to be made like Jesus. It's being made holy. It does not mean that our goal is to get people saved and woohoo, we did it. But that that is just like, hey, we have a journey to go and we are walking on this journey. Being saved is important, but it doesn't mean it stops. It means it keeps going and it goes and it goes and we become more and more like Jesus as the story goes along. And in fact, Christian perfection is the doctrine um, that we believe that we can be made perfect in love in this lifetime. That sounds ludicrous, I know, but stay with me. Because... When I was going up to be a Methodist pastor, and all Methodist pastors have had to answer this question correctly in order to be ordained, they ask me, now ask Levi this one of these days coming up, 
do you expect to be made perfect in this life? And the answer is yes. (laughs) It's yes by the grace of God, which is a very, very, very important part of that. But the answer is yes. In fact, if I was to answer no, they'd be say, well, have another career. I didn't cross my fingers and I believe it. I expect to be made perfect in this life. Now, does that mean I expect to be perfect? No. What is Christian perfection? What is it not? That's a very important thing. So one of the things that Christian perfection is not, it's not perfect in knowledge. It's not that I know everything. All right, I can't tell you the square root of 7,422 just because I've experienced this. It's not about that. I can't know everything. I can't read people's minds. It's not about perfect in knowledge. It's not freedom from mistakes. I could still, stum- I could still stumble over my feet. I could stumble over my words. Um, and I could even do things that I think are good with my heart, but my actions still mess up. Have you ever tried to say the right thing and you said it the wrong way at the wrong time to the wrong person? Of course you have. Your intention may have been right on, but you still somehow made a mistake. It's not free from infirmities. It doesn't mean that your body is going to be perfect. In fact, many of the people who we believe have experienced Christian perfection were at the very end of their life and were not in the best physical health, but their souls were amazing. It's not freedom from temptations. It doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. And it's also, it's also a state that you can arrive and also fall from. There's a whole lot more to be said, but what is entire sanctification? What is Christian perfection? It's love excluding sin. It is pure love in our hearts that only comes as a gift of God and that we are free from outward sin Um, as I was talking to somebody between services they say you know sometimes I do things wrong and I know they're wrong but yet I still do them anyways Christian perfection is like we don't do what we know is wrong and also it's about our inward thought we have freedom from evil thoughts and freedom from evil tempers is this disposition of fear of darkness of hurting where we can become free from that. We believe in that. Now, I know some of you are sitting there and you think, Aaron, you lost me at perfection. I don't believe it. I can never be perfect. And, and that's okay. But I want you to understand the logical conclusion if you go that way. What you are saying is that there is something that God cannot do. In fact, you are saying that sin is greater than grace. That there is a place of darkness that God's light can't shine out. That there is a sin that God cannot take care of That there is pain that God cannot resolve. And I don't want to stand on that side. And so I stand on the side that believes that God's grace is greater than our sin. And any sin. And so I don't believe that I can be made perfect and that it's easy. And that it's, oh, it's just, this is what's going to happen. But I believe that if I so open my life to the goodness of God. That the darkness can be completely cast out. And I think that that's what John is talking about here is that we can live our lives in such a close relationship to God that the darkness is cast out and we are good with God and that it is possible that sin does not live in our heart, but that it leaves us completely. Now, I cheated a little bit when I read our scripture because I really saved the best part for the last, which John put at the very beginning. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, I think is so important. Because how is this possible? How can we love our neighbors? How can we love the truth? How can we be children of God and be righteous? Now, again, oftentimes when we think about righteousness, we think about right behaviors. But really, righteousness is not about right behaviors. It's about right relationship with God. How am I righteous? It's because of how I am in right relationship with God. So chapter 3, verse 1 says, See how very much 
Our Father loves us for he calls us his children and that is what we are. The NIV says it this way, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And so as his children, we become the people who do his will in the world. It becomes natural for us to do this. And and, and children mimic their parents sometimes, right? I may have said this before, but um, I walk like my mom. And so people who have never met me but know my mom, they'll be like, that's your son. Right? Because we just mimic our, our, our parents because that's the natural way to do things, right? Um, when we were in Kentucky, um, we had a, a neighbor um, a couple doors down. Her name was Heather. And so my Heather would go visit that Heather. And when Heather was around Heather, she would, um, sound, she'd start talking Kentuckian a little bit, especially at the end of the night. Like, and she'd talk Southern just a little bit, all right? And it was, it was great, right? Because who we're around becomes who we are. And if we're around God so much and we experience the love of God so much, what a gift it is. And so what what John is telling us is, dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And he says, all, all of us who have this eager expectation that we can become like Christ, that we can become these, these vessels of love for God, all of us who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. And I think that's what we all want to be, is pure. Right now, one of the words I would sometimes use to describe myself is inconsistent. Sometimes I do what I want to do and what, what I know God wants me to do, and then there are other times I don't. I'd love to be pure. Um, in fact, when, uh, when Heather and I were naming our youngest son Kaysen, we chose Kaysen because it means purity. One who is fully one thing. That's what I want to be. I think that's what we all want to be. We don't want to do the things we hate. We don't want to be those people who who bring down the name of Christ. Instead, we want to be purely God's. And we can be if we receive his grace. And so this is a sermon about doing the right things. But it only starts with doing, having the right relationship. How do you become righteous? It's not what you do. The Pharisees tried it. And they, they messed up completely because they missed the big picture. It's not about what you do, though that matters greatly. It begins with who you're with. And so the key, the secret, is to run to the Father. The secret is to be in the presence of God. The secret is to get so close to the Son that it just, you radiate His goodness and His love evermore. And that we continue to grow and grow and grow. Now, when I was preaching in the first service, I got this weird image. And so I I thought, I wonder if this is from God or if this is just my weird mind going. And so I said it in the first service, and I said, tell me if I need to tell it to the second service. And they said yes. So this is their fault that we're still going, okay? But here's the image I got, all right? And you've got to think philosophically a little bit. And I know some of you are like, Aaron, I've already thought philosophically enough, all right? I'm tired of this. But imagine there's a boat right here, wooden boat. All right, see, everybody see the wooden boat? Okay, now, if I replaced every nail and every board over a period of time on this boat, is it the same boat? Okay, now some of you are like, I hate this. Okay, now, is it the same boat? Now imagine this boat, if you will, when you first see it, there are some boards that are rotting. 
Imagine that it leaks a little bit um, because there was a hole because somebody did something to destroy it. Imagine this boat, if you will, that was falling apart because it's seen some storms. And then imagine as you replace the boards one by one that these new boards are healthy and whole. And the boat that was at the beginning, that was rough and ragged, I didn't tell you to imagine that, but now I am. And then imagine that same exact boat, but it looks different and it feels different because it's been replaced by a carpenter who knows exactly what he's doing. Is it the same boat? Yes and no. It's a tension. Let's live into it. That's what we do, right? This is what it's like for us to follow God, and this is what it is to be Christian perfection, I think. We're this boat. But over time, as we allow God to come and intervene, and this master carpenter who knows exactly what he's doing, he can transform us from who we were to who we are becoming. And that journey never stops. We keep going to become more and more like God. I don't know your boat. I don't know the boards. I don't know the the holes that have been gashed in it by the storms of life or by the people who have done terrible things. And even people who we said, you can help repair it, they've done terrible things and damage. But what Jesus comes along to do is to give us the grace and the goodness and the mercy and the love so that our boats become pure and holy and we're able to go forward. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.